0: Porcelain Travels, True Stories of Humor, Horror, and Revelation, In, On, and Around, Toilets, Tubs, and Showers, Encountered on My Travels, Excerpted from the book Porcelain Travels by me, Matthew Felix. Porcelain Travels is a Forward Indies Book of the Year finalist for humor, winner of four Solas awards, including gold for humor, and a number one bestseller in Amazon's travel humor and literary travel categories. Porcelain Travels is available on Amazon, as well as most other online booksellers. For more information, check out matthewfelix.com slash porcelain. So please, a big flush for Matthew Felix. Thank you. So I am going to read from my uh, toilet book or my bathroom stories book, but I'm not actually going to read a story. The, the story it's taken from does deal with toilets, tubs, and showers, but this excerpt actually does not. And the reason I wanted to read this is I've just come back from Paris. I've been back about 36 hours, and uh, so I wanted to read a story that took place in Paris, as a few of the, the stories in this book do. And so this is the end of one of those stories, and it's, um, the, the story's called The Bin and the Bomb. I never thought my studio was paradise. I was captivated by the view of the Eiffel Tower, reminding me night after night that I was realizing my long-standing dream of living in Paris. And I was excited and grateful for the chance to live alone in a very nice part of the city. The room was rough around the edges, but my survival instincts kept me from getting too close to them. One of the beautiful things about friends is that they help us to see things about ourselves that we either can't or don't want to see. In this case, my friend Barb, who booked a last-minute spring break trip to visit me in Paris, was about to call attention to things I either couldn't or didn't want to see about my sanctuary in the sky. Six years, she exclaimed in disgust, upon learning how long Stefan and Maria, the people I was renting the room from, had lived there. I mean, it's no reflection on you, she reassured me, looking around at the tiny space. I just can't believe that anyone could live here for six years. I wasn't sure how to react. I honestly hadn't thought it was that bad. It's cruddy, she snapped, when I tried to temper one of her insults. Without moving from her place on the futon, she then got specific. I don't remember where she started. Maybe it was with the mass of electrical cords on the floor near the foot of the bed, like a pile of kindling threatening to go up in flames at any moment. It might have been her comments about the claustrophobic effect of the countless storage containers stacked from floor to ceiling. It could have been her keen observation that the sleeping bag on the bed looked as though it had been around since somebody's childhood. Then, of course, there were the impossible to defend oil and smoke stains on the wall above the butane stove, itself a fire hazard, the paper holding together the broken window pane, and the shelf that was so narrow it provided the constant threat of falling spices and broken glass. Caught off guard, I'm not sure what came first, nor what followed, or in what order. All I know is that by the time her tirade had come to an end, no stain, shortcoming, or danger had been overlooked by Barb's critical eye. It's a shithole, she summarized. (laughs) I had no reply. Though not without its undeniable quirks and unusual challenges, for two months the little room had worked just fine for me. Given her disgust at the place I temporarily called home, it was ironic that Barb would make her own contribution to its decline. It all began as I lay half-conscious on the futon, pleasantly aware of little more than the rich, fortifying smell of a dark roast of coffee. Interrupting what, until then, had been seventh-floor shithole serenity, I heard an oops, followed by an even less welcome, oh gosh, which might as well have been a, this is more serious than I thought. Still, given that it didn't seem like life or death, with more curiosity than concern, I asked, what's wrong? "Oh." just spilled a little coffee was barb's reply no big deal i said imagining a brown puddle on the kitchen tile no doubt it would be cleaned up before i even got out of bed well i don't know barb confessed hesitating (laughs) it's on the carpet the carpet i asked jolted awake and hoping i had misunderstood yeah i'm sorry she said scurrying around to address the situation while there was still any hope of addressing it like a responsible backpacker, I had a policy of not only leaving no trace, but leaving the places I stayed in better shape than I found them. In this case, that shouldn't have been much of a challenge. But now Barb had made a big black spot in the middle of the baby blue floor. The next half hour saw a desperate haphazard assault of water, soap, lemon juice, vinegar, salt, and carpet cleaner thrown into the blemished area, leaving it saturated, but not discernibly any cleaner. I decided to dry it out. Maybe that would show our efforts had not been entirely in vain. First, though, I had to say a quick goodbye to Barb. She had a plane to catch. She was leaving me to deal with her mess on my own. Closing the door behind her, I grabbed a hair dryer from the kitchen alcove. I plugged it in, turned it on, and got to work. To speed things up, I held the barrel of the dryer directly on the stain, hoping to get as much air as possible down to the base of the fibers. The driver's tiny motor revved like a race car engine at a starting line. Not wanting it to blow up in my hand, I made a point of lifting it off the carpet each time it seemed to approach its breaking point. At least that's what I thought I was doing. With a mysterious pop and a telltale smell, things took another turn for the worse. Having little experience with hair dryers, I had gone too far. The overhead light was no longer on and the clock on the internet router had gone black. I had blown a fuse. Better than the illegal butane tank, I consoled myself. Through a waft of smoke on the opposite wall, I spied a little metal door. I jumped to my feet, opened the door, and found myself face to face with the first good news I'd had since waking up to a caffeinated oil slick. I flipped the fuse that was out of sync with the rest. The light came back on and the router clock began blinking, calling out to be reset. Turning my attention back to the stain, I could no longer ignore the sad truth. It didn't look any better. Actually, it looked worse, but not from being dried out. It was the scrubbing. It had left the stained fibers clumped and worn. If the black hole didn't call attention to the spill, the lumpy, nearly threadbare patches surely would. What was I gonna do now? Only one thing came to mind. I ran downstairs and hurried to the closest supermarket. Do you have any eyeshadow in this color? I asked a woman in cosmetics. I held up a piece of fuzz from an unsoiled section of the carpet. A tall, strikingly attractive African French woman, she took a moment before responding, looking me up and down. I described the coffee incident. My last-ditch hope was that the right, amount of eye, or the right shade of eye might help conceal the damage, like foundation covering up a hickey. Relieved to have an ally in my struggle, I walked with the woman from brand to brand of cosmetics. Exploring each color palette, we held a piece of fuzz next to every shade of blue that might be a match. When we found one on which we both agreed, I told the woman I'd take it. My sense of urgency distracting me from the seven flight climb. I flew up the stairs and headed for the room. Closing the door behind me, I fell to my knees, opened the shopping bag, and took out the eyeshadow. I gasped. It was a match. But would it cover the coffee stain? I put eyeshadow on the brush and began applying it to the soiled fibers. It was clear that if my approach were going to work, it was going to require a tremendous amount of eyeshadow. Losing myself in my unlikely canvas, I applied more blue and more still. It wasn't long before I grew frustrated. Rather than cover up the coffee, I appeared to merely be diluting it. Instead of applying eyeshadow, it was as if I were adding cream, molasses black, turning a bluish gray. The new color was better than prior to the makeover, but it wasn't good enough. I threw the eye brush, the eyeshadow brush to the floor. I had failed. I hoped the big black stain wouldn't come back to haunt me a month later when Stefan and Maria returned from their travels. When I moved out of the apartment, I had no idea I'd again be face to face with the coffee stain in less than a week. Although they hadn't asked for a deposit, it did occur to Stefan and Maria not to let me slip away without a walkthrough. Their friend Caroline would do the honors. As I approached the apartment building, Caroline was nowhere to be found. Upon closer inspection, I discovered a note with my name on it wedged into the door. My heart skipped a beat. Rather than wait for me downstairs as agreed, Caroline had snuck into the apartment on her own. I felt deceived and outsmarted. There was no longer any doubt. I was about to answer for my crimes. I ascended the staircase and knocked on the door. Entrez, came a voice from inside. I expected a scene of the sort usually reserved for murder investigations, white chalk outlining the coffee stain. The subtly patch of carpet cordoned off with police tape to prevent nosy onlookers from getting too close. I opened the door. The room was exactly as I had left it. The only exception was an attractive woman in her late twenties. Salut, she said. Suis Caroline. Salut, I replied, finding her pleasant demeanor suspect. Well, the place looks great, she declared. It does I was sweating profusely yes it does um, okay good didn't she see it it was big it was black realizing I was staring at it I rested my attention away and back to her pretty gaze do you have the keys I reached into my pocket and practically threw them at her well I guess that's it then she said taking one last one last look around still somehow oblivious to the horrendous stain. It was like standing at the window without seeing the Eiffel Tower. How could she possibly overlook it? Did she have a stiff neck? Some sort of tunnel vision that prevented her from seeing the floor? Uh-huh. The end of the ordeal, combined with the adrenaline rush for the duration, had suddenly made me giddy. I needed to leave before I said or did anything stupid. And leave I did, never to look back. A month later, Stefana Maria sent me an effusive email thanking me for taking such great care of their place. There was no mention of the stain. Thank you.